you have your Bibles, you got your Bible apps, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. If you haven't been with us in previous weeks, uh, we've, we started a series called Forgiven and Free. Forgiven and Free. Both of those are very desirable conditions to live in, to be both forgiven but also to be free. Let's read this, this passage. Chapter 15, verse 1. Verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast to that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And so we uh, are basing our message off of this passage primarily because of that phrase right in the middle that is pretty much universally accepted amongst all Christians, amongst all believers, that Christ died for our sins. But what happens sometimes is that individuals will, will believe that, and that's huge, but they'll believe that and they'll receive that in part, meaning that they will fully embrace and be quick to observe and acknowledge the truth that, that Jesus died to remove the penalty of our sins, but some are often slower to believe that he also died to remove the power of sin over us. And so because of that, in life, they go from sin to forgiveness to sin to forgiveness instead of from sin to forgiveness to freedom. To where literally that sin no longer dominates them, no longer controls them, no longer is guiding their thoughts and their actions and really wrecking havoc in their life and eating their lunch every day. Yeah? We want to be among those who are not only forgiven. And if you're not yet forgiven, good news, he's already paid the price for you. You can come on in today. But not only be forgiven, but also be energized by the power of the living Spirit of God to walk in victory and not struggle under the burden and under the control of false uh, ways of living. I say false, but wrong desires, evil evil behaviors to where we can't really say no. We're just kind of struggling to, to live a godly life. Yeah. I think living a godly life should be normal for the godly those who have come into relationship with the Lord have an inherent ability from God to overcome. But there is a mentality that keeps people from that full experience of living in victory. Amen? Everybody okay today? All right. So we want to properly and rightly walk in wisdom. All right. I think I've done enough from up here. Now I'm going to try this. All right. It's, you, most of you are safe, only in those in the spit zone are, are in danger here of, <laughs> of, you know, showers and rivers and things of, that, things of that nature. And so one reason that I think is uh, the cause of people still living under the dominion of sin, even though they're forgiven, is an improper use 
of words like confession and repentance. Okay? And I'm talking confession here, in not confession of faith, but confession of sin. And it's a misunderstanding that some have. They've approached some of those things in a religious way as opposed to agreeing with God. In, in, in other words, when it comes to um, sinful acts or behavior, many will be quick to acknowledge that they did it, and it's almost in a religious way where, well, I've confessed my sin. And it's, I've said my sin, but they didn't confess it in the way that the Lord tells us to. In other words, they didn't agree with Him about it. They just said, I did it. Their, their heart conviction might be something entirely different from the Lord. Um, and, and you remember we said the Lord says two things about, about sin. Uh, number one, it's an abomination. It's evil. It's dark. It's horrible. I hate it. Okay, and we can show you verses and scriptures about how the Lord, what the Lord thinks of sin. And what we want to do is make sure we think about it the same way. So what I say about it has to agree with what he says about it. Not he says, this is horrible, and I say, you know, it's not really not that bad. I mean, everyone I know does this. I mean, have you seen the polls? 70% of the population believes this. Well, I don't care what they believe. I'm not trying to agree with people. I'm trying to agree with him. Yeah? And, and so uh, we have this idea that, you know, God's grading on a curve, and, well, this isn't so bad. See, that's a way to live in bondage. That's a way where we submit ourselves to the power of sin to, rule, to run our lives instead of saying, no, I'm just going to agree with the Lord about it. You remember what Hebrews chapter 1 says about Jesus? Uh, put that up on the screen. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9 says about Jesus, says, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. This was Jesus' mentality. Now, he didn't hate people who were in sin or lawless, but he hated the sin. He loved righteousness and he hated sin. This is, a, this is an attitude that if we adapt it, it will give us victory. Whether it's in our own lives or just out there, whatever God hates, I hate. What he despises, I say, that's horrible. What he says is right, I love it. Now watch, even if, even if your first reaction to it isn't like, woohoo, you know, he says, hey, bring your tithe. What, what do we say? Because your flesh might go, get your hand out of my wallet. What do we say? I love it. I love it. The Lord says, I want you to spend your first part of your day in time in prayer with me. And you think, I'm tired at that time of day. I, I need to sleep in. Say, I love it. I love it. Whatever's of him, I love it. See, it's an adjustment of perspective to see things the way he does. Whatever he says, I say, I like it. I love it. Jesus did that. And whenever something was wrong, he said, I hate that. I despise it. It's evil. That's a proper mentality. What happens when you, when, you, when you do that? What happens to us in our lives if we have that attitude towards right and wrong? Here's what happens. Put it back up. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. You get oil. You get happy oil. It's an essential oil. <laughs> and when you see things like he does and treat things the way he sees them, he pours out on you gladness. It runs all over you. And isn't that ultimately what people are seeking in life? 
They want to be happy. They want to be joyful. They want to be glad. They want to have this fulfillment in their life. They think they're going to get it from certain behaviors that sometimes are contrary to the nature of God. But I'll guarantee you the end of those behaviors is death. It will eat you up. It'll eat your health, your finances. It'll eat your relationships. It'll eat away at your joy and your peace. But if you see it the way he says it, this is good. This is bad. And here comes the oil. Come on now. I like the oil of gladness. But we said that to to confess sin means two things. I, I say what he says about it, okay, which is sin is wrong. It's evil. It's horrible. But also, what else does he say about sin? It's paid for. Jesus suffered and died. His blood was shed. And it is the justice system of heaven is 100% satisfied with the payment that has been made on our behalf. So I'm not going to come out of there saying it's horrible and I'm horrible. I'm going to go out of there saying it's horrible and I'm forgiven. And I am washed clean and I am precious in his sight, embraced and loved. Amen. And so, and, and so that this is the proper way to deal with this. Legally, Jesus paid the penalty of our sins some you know, 2,000 years ago, but experientially, we receive forgiveness at this time, all right? Has anyone, any, any believers in here, any already saved people, have you ever done wrong, committed sin after salvation? Or is this the crew that you made Jesus the Lord of your life and you were el perfecto from then on out? Okay, so if we can relate, we've all messed up after salvation, after we were forgiven. We still did some stupid stuff, right? My question is, what did we do about that? How did we react to it? How did we respond to it? Because our response to what we do after salvation is not contingent upon us going to heaven anymore. We're not talking about eternal life. We're not talking about heaven and hell. We're talking about sin dominating us or us dominating it. And our response to it will either produce condemnation or it'll produce a hardened heart or it'll produce freedom. When I deal properly with wrong behavior, if if I deal improperly with it, I'm just a rascal, I'm a good for nothing, and I'm condemned and the devil will help me all day long to tell me how bad I am and a lot of people will help and they'll condemn you, but that doesn't do any good. Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ, right? But if I don't do anything about it, if I just ignore it, go on my way and act like everything's fine, my heart gets hard. Harder, harder, harder. The harder your heart gets, the end result of that is you can't receive anything from him. It's like pouring water on a sponge, it goes in. Or pouring water on a rock, it scatters. The blessings of the Lord, the favor of these things are, are not able to be received if our heart gets hard. And that happens when believers, when, when saved people, sin and don't do the right thing with it. But if I will apply the grace of God in my life, not only at the point of I make Jesus my Lord and Savior, but also walking through life every single day, how I deal with my own failures, I apply the grace of God. It's not only forgiving It's also power to overcome. And this is what we seek. Praise God. Go with me over to the book of Acts, if you would. It's a left turn. Acts chapter 8. Yes, let's utilize the grace of God on a continual basis. In Acts 8, this is a pretty cool story. 
This is where Philip, Philip is the only New Testament evangelist we have a record of. He went down to a place called Samaria. All right, these were the Samaritans. These are one, the ones the Jews call half-breeds. Uh, there was a lot of <laughs> conflict there, but he went down to Samaria to preach Christ to them. And as he's preaching, God showed up. <laughs> Power of God was on display. Healings galore. People who were demon-possessed got set free. There was great joy in that city. I mean, revival had come to their land. There was much joy. And what happened is there was a certain guy there that I want to talk about named Simon. All right? Ever heard Simon Says? All right. That's not this guy. Okay. Let's look at verse 9. Acts 8, verse 9. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave great heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. So Simon, he's a messed up dude, but he's obviously operating in some kind of demonic power where he's hoodwinking people and deceiving him, and they're impressed with some of his tricks. Some of his sorceries. Uh, how, many, how many know that just because someone is like into something that you might think it's hard for them to hear the gospel because they are a... You ever do that with people? Some in your own family? Maybe they're involved in a religious cult. Maybe they're, in, they're involved in some kind of something like this. Or maybe this outwardly they just totally oppose everything you are or anything God. And you think, man, I don't know. I don't know if God could ever get through to them. Got through to Simon. Simon's into sorcery, man. One of the things the Lord dealt with me about actually a couple months ago is to, is to share with you, uh, when you bring friends and family to services and things like this, and, you're, and you have a concern that, you know, you, you want them to like it. You know how, how it goes. You want them to like everything. I want them to like the music, and I want them to like the preaching, and I want them to like everything. I hope everyone's nice and no one's weird that day, and, you know, and... You, you've met the weird people. Oh, yeah. They come here, too. Uh, <laughs> but there's, a, there's a, sometimes an over-concern about natural things and whether they will accept it. Because, you know, partially they're looking for a reason to tell you no when you invite them back. And they're looking for a reason to not like what's happening here. I, I believe that the, the right response to that for us internally is to believe in God's power, not in life church doing everything perfect. Because we don't do everything perfect. We try, and no matter what, what we think we do great, it's good for some, and someone else doesn't like the bright light or the blue light. <laughs> or someone else doesn't like it. It's, it's not the natural things that save us. It's, it wasn't the natural things that got Simon to turn his heart. Remember uh, Romans chapter 1 says, it's the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. We have to believe in the power of God to get through to people. And sometimes it'll break down barriers. It'll break down walls. Someone will have thinking and they'll have arguments in their head. But at the end of the day, they come and they bow their knee to Jesus. And he saves them and does tremendous things in their life. It's amazing. It's happened to so many of us. Back to Simon. Verse 12, but when they... They believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Both men and women were baptized. Verse 13, then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. 
So according to this verse, what's Simon's spiritual condition? Simon got saved. He believed in the Lord. He, was, he followed his belief up, which is the new birth, with, with baptism in water. Simon got saved. Thank you, Lord, for Simon getting saved. How many know getting saved, though, does not mean your thoughts are all right? Does not mean that you necessarily do everything right from that stamp, from that point on. We've established in our, in our own lives, we can all raise both hands and maybe both feet and say, yeah, I've missed it after I have received the Lord. And, uh, and that was true with Simon. So to, to think that someone, once they get saved, they never have to have a real serious come to Jesus moment with their behavior would be incorrect. We shouldn't feel bad about it personally and say, man, I already received the Lord, but I'm still doing this and I'm still doing this. And we beat ourselves up. Listen, I don't mean don't take it serious. Do take it serious. But the end result of this, end result of what I'm teaching is not condemnation so we can say you're just a rascal. You're just a bad person. No, it's to deal very strongly with wrong things in our lives because they want to dominate us. They want to control us. They want to, uh, you know, tear apart, like I said, our health, our finances, our family, our, our joy, our peace. They want to eat everything good out of our lives. So... Uh, after, they had, after this happened, that we just read, what happened next is they called for Peter and John. They came down there and got everyone baptized in the Spirit. Right? How many know there's salvation? There's baptism in water. And then there's the need for something else. It's called Holy Spirit baptism. And so Peter and John came and got all of them filled with the Spirit. They spoke with tongues. They had a glorious experience with God. And well, I want to jump down to verse 18. Eight, verse 18. Then Simon... And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. He saw what was going on. They're putting their hands on people. They're getting filled with the Spirit and getting a heavenly language. And, and they're just a glorious time. And he says, I want this. How many know that's a problem? You do not, you do not buy the power of God. You know, I've had people come, uh, I've been, you know, ministering to people in healing lines before. They come up, to, we can pray and minister healing to them, and they come up with money in their hands. I'm like, when I see that, I'm like, no siree, absolutely not. You put that right away. You want to give an offering to the Lord? Fine, but that's totally separate. This is free. The gifts of God that Jesus suffered on, died on the cross for, I am not going to pray for you because you, you give an offering. What, am I going to pray better? <laughs> am I use more faith? I'm going to use less faith because I think something's, something's off here. Right? But anyway, Simon did this. He's already saved. But how many know he's got some funky thinking going on? He offered him money saying, give me this power also that, uh, that anyone on whom I lay my hands, I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, now listen to Peter's language and his tone. Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought you could you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Now how many know that's not a real gentle word? But Simon even though he's saved, still had a heart problem. 
He tried to merchandise the anointing. His motives were wrong. And we know that motive with God is a very big thing. We don't always see the motive of each other's hearts. He does. And the motive, the reason why we do what we do is a big deal with God. But listen, what was the solution to Simon? Repent or change from this. Yes, you got saved. Yes, you got baptized in water. But this is a real issue in your life. It needs to be changed. So he told him, saved Simon, to repent. He told him to repent of this wickedness. Sometimes, uh, you know, in the, in the counseling world, in pastoral counseling, uh, many pastors just want to tell people three things, and this will, be, this will work for everyone. might save you some time. They want to tell people <laughs> three things. Number one, admit it. Number two, quit it. And number three, forget it. <laughs> and if we can apply those things. But you know, how many know sometimes uh, in our lives when we got things going the wrong way, we don't want to admit that it's wrong. We want to make an excuse for why we're acting this way, why we're doing something. And, and we don't want to quit it. We just want it to be fixed so we can keep doing it. It's this action is causing this problem. I want to keep doing this action and not have this problem. But that's impossible to work with someone like that. It's like, this is causing this. Well, my marriage is this, 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 and this. I know, but you keep doing this. I can't make this go away unless you stop doing this. Well, just pray over this. (laughs) Okay, I'll pray over that. We'll cast that out. Boom. And you keep doing this, it's going to get seven times worse. Hallelujah. Our, Our approach, remember I said there's three different ways we can approach when we do wrong things. Some of them make us condemned. Some make us hardened. And some get us free. If we will do the right thing, Meaning, I repent, I turn, I change my mind. I I do this by faith. I believe that when I do it, that when I get off off my knee, getting getting things settled and straight with the Lord, that His power is going to intersect my life, and I'm going to come out of there with an ability I didn't have before, or at least was not utilized before. I'm going to come out of there with the grace of God upon me that next time I run up against this situation, I'm going to act different. I'm going to be able to say no. I'm going to be able to respond mentally different to the situation again. And, and that's what we're talking about. Uh, this, is, this is the real thing of it in intersecting with the power of God. Simon repented of his sins when he got saved. But this repentance was designed specifically for removing a certain type of wickedness. A certain wickedness that still existed in his heart. Now, let me, let me uh, jump on this for a moment. Sometimes today, people have this, this mentality that says, if someone is doing wrong, going the wrong way in their life, we just need to, now understand, I've got to define words, but we just need to love them until they change. But their love them often never involves any kind of this language at all. And I'm not advocating that we go around rebuking people and telling them they're of the devil and everything else. But how many recognize there is a time and a place when if you truly love someone, you will shoot them straight? I don't believe Peter was trying to send Simon to hell. He's not trying to condemn him and just make him 
feel like an outcast and everything else. He's dealing, there is something really wrong in his heart, in his way of thinking, in how he's approaching this. And Simon is saying, this is wrong. This is bad. So Simon, here's the word for you, buddy. You need to change. And he got in his business. I just wonder sometimes today if we're even open to this. I mean, could, could someone, I mean, again, with a heart of love, with a heart of compassion, but sometimes get in our face and say, hey, man, you're doing this wrong. You're going the wrong way. Because if we can receive it, we change and get victory over it. If we take offense to it, ah, I can't believe they said it, said it to me that way. They're just full of hate. They're just full of whatever. Okay, live in bondage. Stay in that place. Got quiet on me here today. Amen. How many know Jesus dealt with people this way too? He even dealt with his disciples this way at times. Remember when they came out of that, they were in that storm and they're in the boat and, and Jesus woke up, they woke Jesus up and said, Master, don't you love us? Seriously, you're going to ask Jesus if he really loves you. It didn't make him happy. He stood up and rebuked the storm and turned and rebuked his disciples. He yelled at the storm and then he yelled at his disciples. <laughs> and he said, you've got to be kidding me. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. He got, he got on them about their unbelief. Nowadays, I think people would say Jesus has, you know, whatever. He has an anger problem or something. <laughs> he just doesn't appreciate what well, all we do for him. <laughs> We're the ones that got this boat for him. I remember, can I do a side journey here for a moment? Yeah. I, I remember uh, brother Keith, who's coming. He'll be here tomorrow. Keep brother Keith Moore uh, saying years ago, uh, back in the 80s and 90s and things, sometimes when I was around uh, the ministry there at Rama and different places, um, brother Hagen Sr., when he was alive, he would minister, and then many times he would use brother Moore in music because he got hundreds of songs from the Lord, and he'd say, he'd yell out, Keith! <laughs> and Keith would come up and get on the piano and start flowing, you know, prophetic songs, that kind of stuff, and he'd start flowing. And, uh, but we always noticed that whenever he said that, uh, Keith would get up and he'd run. I mean, like a slow jog, but from where he was sitting, like right over there, he wouldn't just walk up to the front, he'd hustle. And, uh, and he said the reason he did that, because he talked about it, he said the reason he did that is because one time he was taking his time <laughs> and just walking up there. And Brother Hagin said, well, if I'd have known you were going to take so long, I, called, uh, I wouldn't even have called on you. He said that in front of thousands of people. You know what, what a lot of people would do nowadays? They would get mad at the preacher, at the prophet there. And say, well, he's just not sensitive. He's just not nice. And I'm glad Brother Moore didn't have that reaction. Where would his ministry be now? He humbled himself and said, all right, from now on, I'm going to hustle whenever he calls on me. And you see God promote him and elevate him. And his ministry's gone around the world. And uh, just tremendous things happen. There's a right heart to these kind of things. And if we're not even open to the very idea that I could be confronted about an idea... Or something in my life that's going wrong. We're closing ourselves off to victory over those, those situations. I hope no one is getting out of this message. That we're, we're, we're just seeking to condemn people for wrong behaving. 
No. I want people to have victory. That's my heart that that's someone who wants to stop drinking can. Hmm. It's my heart that, that that's someone who, who wants to stop looking at pornography can. It, it, it's my heart that, that someone who views their, their, their behavior in, in a, you know, almost acceptable way. So what we do sometimes is we, I'm getting ahead of myself. <sighs> Go over to James. Let's finish up over there. Good thing about being a pastor is I always have next week. I don't have to say, I don't have to say everything on the, on the same day, but I want to get out today what's, what's necessary um, for, for today. All right. And so, so, so James chapter, chapter 1, James the first chapter. Our flesh sometimes will try to make an avenue to where what we are doing is somehow justified or excused. And if we yield to that thought process, the sin remains dominant over us. But if we come to a position where we say, you know what, I don't have to do that. I don't have to be that way. In fact, God's power is within me to overcome. Then we become, we take dominion over that for which Jesus died. But the enemy works in the mental realm saying, well, you can't help this. This is just the way you are. This is the way you were born. This is, this, there's nothing you can do about this. This is just you. Embrace it. Accept it. No, if it, con- it contradicts God's word, I'm not going to embrace it. I'm going to resist it. In James chapter 1 and verse 12, it reads, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. All right? Not blessed is the man who yields to temptation. But when the person endures, meaning they're, 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 they have a persistence, they persevere, and they, re, they resist that. He, he says, For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So overcoming in these areas not only produces victory and benefits in this life, we actually get a special crown in heaven. What's that one? Crown of life. You know how you overcame? You know how the enemy came at you again and again and again and you, you were raised in this kind of environment and your natural tendency was to act this way and to do these things, but you said, I'm going to take God at his word and I'm going to believe to overcome this. You get a special crown for that. And we're all going to walk by you every, you know, however often we see each other in heaven. We've got plenty of time. We're going to walk by you and say, dude, nice crown, man. Boom, boom, way to go. You persevered. You overcame. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. Don't say God did this. Well, this is just the way that God made me. No. That's not a Bible thought. That's not a God thought. You got that from TV. You got that from Hollywood. And if you're getting your wisdom from Hollywood, Lord help you. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Own desires. So the enemy looks for something in us that we want, that we like. Makes us feel good. It's a desire that's of the flesh. And understand, not of the spirit, but of the flesh. And uh, when we want something, that's where the enemy is going to attack us. Yeah? Um, I've, I've heard individuals, I've heard, heard this from some, some men. I've heard this from some wives who've been married, some women who've been married 
to men who haven't been faithful with them. And there's forgiveness, by the way, in here. Again, this is not a condemnation service. But uh, people have said, well, you know, it's just the way men are created. It's just the way men are built. It's just in their DNA. For, for a man to be a one-woman man, they're just, they have to have more, more than one. No, that's not true. Well, I just can't help it. I, I just, just, this is just the way I am. It's the way I was born. And, and I just can't just be, I can't be a one-woman man. Yes, you can. That's a lie that's believed. Sure, there's a temptation. Welcome to the human race. But it's a lie that's believed. We used to say, no, that's not who I am. This is who I am. And I can do exactly what God has said I can do. Yeah. But if we have this mentality, we start, start thinking of our lives and, and, the, and making excuse for going the wrong way. Or for, from going to the lowest common denominator of humanity and say, well, I just can't help that. You know, I've heard, I understand, I don't know the full science of it, but it seems there's maybe some evidence that some people are more um, in, their, in their genes somehow, they, they are more likely to become alcoholics if they drink. In other words, maybe you've heard this, and I'm not giving a scripture on this, so... But some one person takes a drink, it doesn't have any addicting power over them, but another person takes the same drink, they're more susceptible to it, okay? Okay, maybe that's true. I don't know for sure. Maybe that's true. But should a person, because that may be a reality, should they say that about themselves? Well, I just can't help this because it's in my DNA. It was passed on for generations, and, and now I'm subject. no. Maybe you do have a harder time. I'm not here to throw stones. I'm not here to beat anyone up. Maybe that is more difficult for you than it is for me. But nevertheless, the power of God is available to put you over the top, to give you victory in that situation. And that's where our faith is in. Not in willpower. Not in, it's in the power of God that has raised Jesus from the dead and raised us up with him. If you're a believer, if you've received the Lord, that power is in you to overcome. Amen. Oh, there's more to talk about, but we'll get into some of these things. But recognize that these gravitations come from desires within our own flesh, desires that sometimes should be at minimal controlled and at other times completely resisted. And I judge that by the Scriptures. What is right? What is wrong? I hate what's wrong. I love what's right. And so because of that, I'm going to um, find out what's right. Is it right in moderation or should it be resisted altogether? Everybody okay today? I believe the power of God is, is, is working in here. The wisdom of God. And, and if anyone goes out of here, like I said, feeling like, man, I'm just a rascal. I'm just a lousy person. You missed the message here. The Lord loves the alcoholic. The Lord loves the thief. The Lord loves the liar, you know, the Lord loves, whatever someone is, has got going, or going on in their life, the Lord loves you, and you're the reason Jesus died. But don't accept a life, a life that is subservient to that bondage, because he died not only to forgive you of it, but to free you from it. Amen. And that's what we're coming into contact with today. Complete forgiveness and freedom and embrace and complete deliverance. So we walk away from it as a thing in our past.
Father, today I thank you for working in our hearts.